3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Through CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to Elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we respect their unceded sovereignty. We would also like to acknowledge the deep roots of anti-blackness in so-called Australia. Anti-blackness and colonisation go hand in hand and the violence perpetrated against black bodies has been used as an intentional tool to maintain the colonial state. So today we've got a special broadcast. This year is an election year, but it's also a year we've seen intense attack, attacks on African diasporas and initiated by self-serving opportunist, opportunistic politicians, shock jocks and perpetrated by mainstream media outlets. It's been a year we've seen a noticeable increase in the profile and voices of the far right as well. The media rhetoric, and I say this hesitantly because I'm not into like the whole perpetrating racist discourse, but the media rhetoric in the wake of the so-called African gang, gangs hysteria um, is something that we need to talk about, um, and that's how this panel came to be. Just recently, a 14-year-old was stabbed by two white kids, and earlier this week, an Aboriginal teen was punched in the face by cops in Broken Hill. So we've organised a special panel bringing together black voices from around Melbourne, and Apech, I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, me too, actually, oh. We have been looking forward to this and, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, the, the panel uh, will be interesting and we'll definitely be getting into some topics. Um, we have great guests in our show this morning and, uh, sorry, um, some technical difficulty. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll just go through and um, tell you our guests uh, that we have this morning and we'll go from there. Um, so first we have Meriki Onis from the Gunai, Japwarang and Gujumara Nations. Um, she is a community member living on unceded territory of Nam. Meriki has been involved in active activism on the over-incarceration of Aboriginal people, Aboriginal deaths in custody, youth justice and most recently saving Japwarang sacred sites. Meriki has also worked in the community legal center sector on and off for, for the past seven years with a particular focus on survivors of family violence. Um, we will also be um, speaking with one of our panelists, who is Makir Mayak. He is a lawyer and co-campaigner behind the original African Gangs, hash, um, hashtag African Gangs social uh, media campaign. We will also be speaking with Deng Garang, who is a social worker working with African young people um, in Melbourne's West. Um, so Dane will be also joining us um, via phone link um, into our panel this morning. Um, also, we'll have Saba Alimayo. Um, she is a conscientious social entrepreneur, the founder of AfroHub that provides a platform for African talent incorporated um, within her restaurant, attempting to use the existing capitalist structure to create the empowerment she wants to see. Um, also, we'll be having Arij Noor. Um, she's a radio journalist and co-founder of African Artists Collective Still Nomads. Uh, stay tuned. We're just going to go um, straight to a song, um, but then we'll be back with our panel. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. 
Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. 
You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Remember, nine ops a special day for us, fellas. As a reminder, who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy NAIDOC! You are on 3CR Radio. The time is 10 past 7 in the morning. Um, if you're just joining us, um, you've just joined us on a very special episode this morning. We are having a panel discussion um, called Enough is Enough. We are going to try and go beyond the issue of African gangs. Uh, so welcome to all our listeners and to all our panelists. Good morning. Morning. Hi. Good morning. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, we are going to jump right in in here. Um, first, um, so we've had um, issues with the title. We don't want to normalize the whole African gangs discourse, um, but that's our starting point. Um, and my uh, first question is, um, any ideas how we can go beyond these two words, which don't necessarily um, belong together? Um, given the whole starter of the African gangs campaign, Makera, I'd like to go to you first. Um, with that, please. Um, look, uh, the the conversation about the uh, the whole African gangs, I think um, it's a conversation which is not in its right place, and um, and that's why you've seen um, uh, um, over the, the the last few months there have been serious reactions um, uh, across the community, uh, the political divide. Well, not so much politicians because uh, um, there is uh, uh, the, the politicians are holding their positions. But but I think for the people that are affected, uh, that is the the African Australians, there there has been that reaction. So I, I think um, uh, it's a conversation that it, there will be that uh, to stay as long as there there, there are elections. Um, it's a conversation that will always be there uh, as long as uh, we live in this um, uh, diverse uh, uh, society, but which at the same time it's a society where we all don't have voices. We are not heard on uh, the, the same platform. So um, I don't think it's, it's, it's going to be normalized. I don't think it's, it's a conversation that is going to go away. It, it might it, it, it might go into a lull for some time, um, perhaps after an election or the, uh, uh, the Victorian election or the federal election, but I think it's probably um, it, uh, it might come up in the, in the, the future. 
Um, I think that with regards to African gangs broadly, I think that um, to some extent in terms of politically the gangs have been manufactured, right? Like we know and there's evidence from even from Victoria Police, not that their statistics mean too much to me ever, but I think that um, those African gangs or an African gang has been manufactured in the past and um, continues to be manufactured. Whether or not the media will take that information and run with it is another question, but it is true that this big kind of broader issue of African gangs has been manufactured. And there is historical context here and also in the United States to say that, you know, gangs become manufactured via the media, by broader society and fears from broader society, in inverted commas, um, and then they turn into far bigger problems and the ripple effects of the impacts of those communities or the impacts that those communities face because of those negative connotations of what gangs might be is actually quite a common tool of oppression for people. And so I think that broadly the issue of African gangs or African people or African people being racialized in the way or African people in the justice system or whatever is um, really complicated. But I think in essence, African gangs are a fabrication and they were a fabric fabrication and have been said to be a fabrication. Yeah. And just just um, picking up on the point that you uh, talked about the US there and how, like, I just find that really interesting how, um, you know, what Australia's sort of picking up on that discourse that already existed in the US with gang violence, um, on, you know, um, to do with, like, black people as a way to control and oppress black bodies. Um, and I suppose, like, the reason we started off with this question is that there's, you know, stuff happening on the front lines, um, you know, by this sort of racist discourse, um, you know, incarceration of black bodies, the targeting um, of black people by police, um, attacks on the streets, and so on. And yes, no, well, even with that. So just to give an example, <laughs> some of um, some effects that come out of this uh, careless rhetoric that given by our politicians and even the unethical reporting by some journalists. Um, some of the effects that are just unseen um, by people are the everyday lives um, of these youth or of these so-called African gangs, the, the things they have to deal with. So even if we start from people who are at a young age, say between um, 12 up to 18 or something like that in school, the kind of bullying they um, would be subjected to, um, the kind of questions that they get. So I have even nephews who be like, oh, so I'm walking and then this person like pretty much said, oh, why why are you doing this? Why are you part of a gang? Or things like that. Or you'd be like, oh, I don't want to hang out with you. People lose their friends now. Or even their friends' parents be like, look, I don't want you hanging out with these kids because um, this is what the news say. This is what our politician says. Um, you also just have um, these things even... Uh, people in their professional lives um, might have might go through um, your job applications jobs that you would otherwise be great for you might not get because someone is going with the assumption that you are part of a gang or that you are a troublemaker or that you're bringing something else so it is these kinds of um, issues that we are trying to um, explore here so if we can um, talk about what's happening um, to people in particular um, South Sudanese and Horn of Africa youth um, so I would just like to offer that to our panel. Any comments you might have about this? 
Maybe Saba, if, if do you have any thoughts? So I can't, I guess, um, speak on it from a personal experience. In that, um, in that, I guess, as a, as a woman and as a non-South Sudanese woman, I haven't experienced as much direct repercussion to the African gangs. Um, problem but also it's because of I guess the company and the spaces I choose to occupy and the liberty that I have in terms of working for myself and also working in spaces that are quite safe for me constantly so for that reason I haven't but I think it was really interesting to see even at the start of this year I think it was there was an article in regards that said something um, it was again by (laughs) well-meaning progressive lefts which doesn't necessarily make it any less harmful um, saying things like uh, at school say hi to the South Sudanese kid or something like that and it was an actual newspaper article telling other children to say hi to other children which I thought I thought I was like wow we got to that point that we're now going to have to t- tell other children to to kind of greet or speak to another child from a different background that I thought that was quite telling um, and then I guess we have had racial violence that has been very, um, not reported quite well and it hasn't been highlighted, but we have had racial violence that's been experienced again by the, particularly it's been usually the South Sydney's community. But again, I remember we were sitting in this uh, same box just a cup about maybe about five, six years ago when it was Somalis that were being um, persecuted and, and to this degree and to this level, and Somali men particularly. Um, and then it was only a little while before that, I think there was an Indians being persecuted. So it's, it's kind of this cyclical thing that just continues on. But in terms of direct impact, you've seen it as well, the 14-year-old um, child that was actually racially attacked recently. It was in August. A 14-year-old child was attacked for purely being black. Uh, in 2007, we had as well another South Sudanese 19-year-old man being attacked, and it was a very—it was in Noble Park. It was a—it was a very uh, it was racially motivated, and it was even stated by um, the perpetrator that it was that case. So there is direct impact on people, and then there's a direct impact again when you see, I guess, what happened to the young woman that was killed. That would, in any other case, it would have been uh, prevention of violence against women, or would have been a tragedy of a young black woman dying that's all that story was but it just got spun in a way in which her name didn't matter Lal Chol her story didn't matter the fact that it was a gendered violence didn't matter and it became really an African gangs conversation so there is direct impact I guess that we're seeing constantly and directly but um yeah that would be I guess my thoughts I think uh, going back to um what uh, uh, um our friend said here is um, there is always going to be um, uh, a level of danger coming from the conversation that is uh, currently going on. Um, we we all know it's it's all accepted, and uh, and I think um, it's a fabrication. It's the the statistics are all there for all to see. Um, we. We've we've had the uh, the crime statistics agency uh, coming out and say um, when the the figures were exaggerated to be over 1.1 percent and, and and so forth, and then they were revised to about uh, 1 1 percent for a population of 0.1 percent. Uh, regardless, I, th- I think the, the 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 starting point is is to uh, acknowledge 
that there are um, offences happening, and I think uh, us as a community, we've got to accept uh, some uh, young people are, um, are committing offences, and and statistics work in a very um, uh, yeah, um, uh, the way statistics work. Uh, sometimes we 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 they, they may disadvantage some people, and that is that is here that is the case here. Say for instance, uh, burglaries that were um, uh, um, being reported, there were about 70 uh, um, across, and 70. Uh, when you calculate 70, it comes to about 3.8%, and that compared against the uh, the, the, the population uh, generally, uh, it's becomes it becomes over uh, representation uh, statistically. So I, I think that that should be the starting point uh, for us as a community to say, um, okay, well, uh, statistics may be against us, but it's 70 burglaries, and, and the, the the police has uh, has been on point on this. Uh, where the offenders um, have been dealt with, have been arrested, and um, um, are behind bars, are being watched by the police, and then it, then the, conversa- the conversation changes. Then, if that's the case, if the we the, the offenders of these of these crimes are or these offences are known by the police, uh, uh, then. So why do we still have the conversation of the the so-called African African gangs? Uh, and then it comes down to the fact, the fact that it's a, it's a, it's a fabrication. It also disadvantages uh, the other Africans uh, because um, uh, when we when we when we look at the statistics of the uh, majority of the uh, communities that are represented here, they're mainly Sassanese, which I uh, personally come from, and then perhaps uh, um, some Somalis and Ethiopians who are the uh, the cast of. Africans who came here as re- refugees. So, in, a, in, in one way or another, it's, it does uh, disadvantage um, uh, a whole continent of over over uh, uh, um, uh, 50 countries. And uh, what that does is, in places, in public spaces of um, employment, uh, public spaces where people go to uh, social uh, social places. Anyone of African appearance is likely going to experience um, uh, a level of prejudice as a result of what what is being reported here, and it's 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 very it's I think for people that have not really um, come in contact so much with the Africans, which is most Australians. Uh, who do not live in metropolitans um, will not distinguish the difference between a Sassanese or a Somali or an Ethiopian uh, unless you know, you know what, what a Somali looks like or an Ethiopian looks like or a Kenyan looks like. So, so it does disadvantage, I think, um, uh, a diverse uh, g- g- group of people. Um, we've got also to 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 to, um, to bring into this discourse that Africa does also have uh, Caucasians there. We you know we we do have Caucasians, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and all this. And whether that conversation turns against them as well, it's a, is another point. Um, now uh, turning to the point that w- whether the um, there is a direct impact on the uh, on the community, uh, it's gone. It's gone as far as uh, I think someone was telling me last week or the last two weeks, uh, where you know real uh, real estates are not uh, renting out properties to uh, people who identify as Africans or Sassanese in, um, in the West, and because of this of the war 
uh, um, the reports we see in the media and what the politicians are saying. So, uh, and if that happens, I, I think we're, we're going to see a different level of um, uh, uh, homelessness, homelessness is going to come into it. Um, and and if people do not have homes to uh, place, uh, properties to rent. Um, Public housing is going to be is going to be is going to come into it, and if there's congestion in public housing, as we see here, some places in Melbourne where uh, young people who live in uh, public housing are pre predominantly present, uh, represented in the in the statistics, then I think we're we're creating a different level of uh, um, um, a criminal activity. We're, we're we're putting young people in a, in harm's way. Um, so you're listening to 3CR, a special panel on enough of, is enough going beyond the sort of African gang rhetoric. Um, so, Merrick, you've been involved in a lot of activism um, around um, uh, especially incarceration of uh, Aboriginal people. Um, what, what do you think, um, what, like, how, how do these narratives that are essentially, I suppose, um, anti-black sort of feed into the construction of the state? Um, I think this state uh, and people need racism and the persecution of minorities to win elections. And the state, um, and, and they, well, it goes back a long way. It's, we have to talk about the history of it. Australia was a penal colony. It was a prison before it became a country. And prison culture and policing has been here for before this country was even a country. Um, and it was formed on keeping black people out. And um, the notion of terra nullius and every system that um, that comes after it will be fundamentally racist. And I think that um, that African communities, and particularly, I can't speak from that experience, but I think that, um, yes... Minorities have experienced this kind of racism and uh, migrant communities when they've come in waves here. And, um, but I think that there's an, an element of anti-blackness that um, plays a role here and the proximity that African communities have to Aboriginal people and that we, we have to talk about racism within the context of where Terranolia started and that I think that these, we have to say that these systems are fundamentally racist and that, that our solutions will live within communities outside of it. You know, we'll see just uh, p politicians are giving uh, that politicians are giving um, police and um, the white Australian demographic mandate to attack African communities to win an election. This is what's happening, and it's not going to stop after the election. Um, it will continue because this once they give you, um, I mean, for example, I'll just use pedophiles in the Northern Territory to put the Northern Territory intervention in place. So there was a media campaign against Aboriginal men um, who were pedophiles in the Northern Territory and then they sent the army in and then they um, introduced laws that restricted the human rights of Aboriginal peoples in um, the Northern Territory. That didn't stop after that. Now we see the, the um, Aboriginal children make up 100% of the kids in 
um, juvenile justice centres in um, in the Northern Territory. Um, so I think that this is probably. The, I mean, I I mean, I I think this is one of the. It's probably as bad as it can get when the state um, sets up um, mandate for you to be public enemy, enemy one, number one, and this will impact Aboriginal, uh, sorry, African youth for many generations to come. Um, and this is the concern I think that there has to come from a abolitionist. Um, I think that you know I'm, I've got abolitionist politics, and I, I think that the remedy lies within ab- abolitionist. Um, 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 politics in that we have to organise our communities outside of policing. I'm um, sorry, um, I'm awake. Bef- I'm awake before I should be awake. That's <laughs> 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 uh, my alarm. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure what point I wanted, wanted to make, but I think that um, st- building communities and not prisons. Uh, the state, the Labor government have have are now building a youth prison, and I I, I put my Life and my whole life on that 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 prison will be filled with Aboriginal and Sudanese South Sudanese children, um, and that's not even built yet. That's a prison built for unborn Aboriginal and South Sudanese children, because of what we see today. Um, can I can I can I just say I um, I hundred percent agree with what Marika just said. Um, I think. Uh, we we may see this as a as a discourse that has a, d- a debate that has just started as a result of um, uh, fundamentally politicians wanting to um, uh, to to capitalise on on an issue that they can use in an election. Um, but then I think the spiral effect is um, that we see young people being uh, uh, being criminalised. We, we, um, what we see is our, our young people going out on the on the streets and uh, they over policing. They are being uh, being watched. They are being pulled over uh, against you know, what what the laws uh, prescri- prescribe. And what what happens is you get young young people that um, get before the criminal justice system when they when they should not because in one way or another. Um, the police will always uh, uh, target people that um, um, are in line of the, the, the fine line of, uh, of of conversation. And at the moment, it's the the the, uh, the African young people. And I, I I do go back to what I said before that it's it's not going to distinguish um, what you which which part of Africa that you come from, because uh, the, it's 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 basically the the you know the the African gangs uh, the, the African gangs and people out there do not know. Um, they cannot distinguish the um, different peoples from 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 Africa. So anyone that is that has or appears to have an, an African appearance is going to be affected, or anyone in fact that that is black is going to be affected. And the long the long term effect is the the over policing and being uh, being targeted. And when you are targeted, you, you you get so many young people before the criminal justice system. And it's I worked in Northern Territory uh, in the uh, um, justice system for a very long time, over five years, as a practicing 
thing there. And what I, what I saw, it's exactly the same issues of um, uh, the communi- community being put uh, um, yeah, the before a firing line and, and the, the police, the whatever offences that happen, uh, they, 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 they get reported, they, they get before the criminal justice system, they, um, um, you do two, two or three, you become a repeat offender. You're a, if you're a repeat offender, the mandatory uh, sentencing uh, applies. And if the mandatory sentencing uh, laws apply, it means you can be in prison for a very long time and uh, you've got um, a long list of, uh, of criminal, rec- uh, criminal record. It's, it's, it's likely going to be the same thing happening with the, with the, um, with the, with the African people here and the young people here. And that's why we say uh, this is when the con- we need to get the conversation straight. If we, if you see what what happens in Northern Territory, you go to the Supreme Court, Northern Territory, every single day, um, or uh, the magis, uh, the local court there. About 80 to 90 percent of the crim- uh, the criminal list is basically um, uh, indigenous uh, indigenous Australians, and it's 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 a combination of these factors where uh, you know um, 10, 20 years from now. Um, we'll see over um, represent, uh, representation of Africans and in the before uh, in prisons in jails um, exactly the same thing that is happening with the indigenous people. So and that's why we say the conversation has to has to be dealt with you know, the uh, the way the politicians or uh, the media want to want this to be dealt with. That it's not it's not going to be them um, um, speaking up for uh, for for the Africans who are. Um, uh, really important and contributing members of our society. Um, no one, uh, I think, has uh, any uh, priority being. Um, um, there's no uh, first-class citizen in this country. Everyone is a citizen, and that is, uh, there are no categories of citizens. And if we need to have a conversation about uh, particular uh, group of people, then it's got to be a, a legitimate conversation. It's got to be a straightforward conversation of what the reality is. Um, so uh, in, in terms of that, I think uh, I agree with what Marika said, and, and uh, it worries me of what we're, we're going to see in, in, in a decade or two uh, to come. I think there is... Um there has been research, just uh, it's not necessarily... So I find it's quite interesting when we speak about um, the African gangs or when we're generally oppressing any group and we use all these statistics and we say this and this. Um, statistics in themselves are subjective um, and they're subjective because sometimes they don't tell the previous story to it. So there has been a lot of research around that if you continuously um, surveil and watch a community, you will catch more crimes. In the same way that if you watched me all day long, I can tell you already, I probably have done a right turn wrong today. Um, mm-hmm. There will be things that you would do. The more you watch, the more you're going to find. And that's how, generally speaking, a lot of these persecuted communities tend to increase, um, into increase uh, get represented more. And the other element that I find really interesting is that as black young people they aren't given the rights to be able to have a teenage experience, mm-hmm. right? So there is, there are some things that go wrong but these are not necessarily um, 
any different to what a Caucasian child does. Mm -hmm. A young teenager in the Australian contest, whether you like it or not, will probably get intoxicated and do some kind of behaviour of that kind. Not saying all, but it's just ingrained within our culture to do that. But it just seems to be that the punishment or the way in which it's viewed when an African teenager participates in these kinds of behaviour, it tends to be... Um, exaggerated beyond what is necessary. It is teenage years. They will muck up and it's just about how we create. And that's what I think it's kind of, it's leaving now the African community in a position where we have to sit there and go, no, we're perfect. No, we're not. Mm. It's a teenager. It's a 15-year-old child. Like a 15-year-old child will make 15-year-old mistakes. Um, and I don't understand why a 15-year-old black child making 15-year-old mistakes is viewed any differently to a 15-year-old white child making those same mistakes. Um, so, for example, even in the Melbourne context, we had king hitting um, becoming a massive problem in terms of in the drinking culture that occurred. I believe a majority of them, I can probably say in terms of based on just uh, media representation, none of them that participated in that at that time when it was a big issue were of African descent based on media representation that we saw. But we addressed that and spoke about it like a drinking culture issue, which it was and it is. So I just think in terms of uh, if you keep watching the community, you will find more things to persecute. In the same way, if you watch the same old lady doing her daily routine, you're going to find more mistakes to persecute because we all do engage in here and there. Um, and then in terms of the teenagers, they're teenagers. They're going to make the same teenage mistake as white teenage kids. Let's not treat them any different. It's still a child and it just makes child mistakes. Absolutely. Just really quickly, just to go on that, I think that what you've touched on is really important because I think that mm. Australian Australia's police powers are inherently discretionary, right? So what happens in that situation is that police <coughs> get to decide um, which crimes they're going to like catch people for. So, for example, public drunkenness. Public drunkenness is something that is constantly happening in Australia, like in the CBD on a Friday night or whatever. People are drinking and having a drink in the street and it is what it is. But if... Um, young African people, whether they're underage or not, are in that same position, suddenly those laws become way more important, right? And and that comes exact like that comes under exactly what Mariki was saying about the fact that this, this country is was a penal colony before it was a country and police forces and um this inverted in inverted commas justice system and this kind of um issues of punishment that Australia's does really is really really strong in that punishment is something that Australia um, takes a lot of pride in, um, and so I think when we think about the fact that African kids and young Aboriginal kids and Pacifica kids um, are unfairly targeted and profiled, I think that's extremely accurate. But I think that also relates to structural mm -hmm. powers that police have, um, which are inherently discretionary. And I also think. Um, another thing that you pointed out, Saba, that I think was really important was that um, young people are maybe treated, like young African kids or young black kids are treated um, as if that they can't have a teenagehood, right? Um, I also think that there is a lot of statistics and a lot of research that suggests that black kids or black people are A, considered subhuman and don't feel the same amount of pain that white people feel and B, are considered much older than they are when they're kids. So a 15 or 14 year old South Sudanese kid or other African kid or Aboriginal kid or Pacific kid that we see at a, a train station, 
I know that they're a child. I can see that they're a child when I look at them. I can see the PSO officers hassling a 12, 13, 14-year-old. White people don't... I don't know if white people see that, and I don't think the PSO officers even recognise that they're not actually speaking to an adult. They're speaking to an actual child. And I know that there's a lot of research that suggests, like I said, that um, black people are considered subhuman and black people are considered um, much older than they are. And that is impacting our kids in a way that is so terrifying because the justice system in Melbourne, the youth justice system in Victoria, is completely overrun by African kids and um, First Nations kids and Pacifica mm-hmm. kids in this and it's not a coincidence it's not this pattern of you know there were the Vietnamese and you know that it's not that because there's something really really specific about the anti-blackness that is experienced by our communities and it's it's extremely terrifying um, and also I think that what we can think about moving forward is exactly what Mariki said, and that is looking at all of this through the lens of um, prison abolition. Because I don't know what else we're going to do. And Aboriginal people have been dealing with this since this, like, settler colonial state was established. So it's like I, c- I just don't know what we can do um, besides work on some sort of community justice. Because at this point and at this rate, we're actually screwed. The, and the biggest lesson that you know I, I can contribute to what you're saying is absolutely agree with you is that we just have to look at the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, that commission, uh, Aboriginal um, people uh, campaigned throughout the 80s because of the overrepresentation of Aboriginal deaths in, uh, by police and prison guards and whenever they come into, we come into contact um, with the justice system. Um, it, it didn't change anything. We... We did the model citizen. We did the model minority theory. We've done everything. We we've talked up to the white man, and we've done run through all of their hoops, and they're still killing other people at extreme extreme rates, and in fact now more than ever. So, um, you know, and if that's something that to learn in the history of racism in this country, is that you pl- can't play into their game. If you move into their step and their arguments about being criminals and crime and and, and not being like that um, and not committing crimes or or somehow that um, somebody's a criminal and somebody's not, you're already losing the argument. And I think once we step into that um, field to say, oh no, we're not we're not gangs or we're not criminals or you know everyone's innocent from my community, uh, we're losing that fight because. Everybody has the capacity to commit a crime. It's just whether we're over-policed or not. And it's the problem lies in system racism and over-policing, not the, the, it doesn't sit with the, the people experiencing the over-policing. Stay tuned because we're going to get more um, in, into the sort of structural uh, stuff just after this break. <laughs> Tomorrow could be your last 
Then your mama could pass. Your sisters high shutters like glass. Then your nephews and nieces gotta pick up the pieces and try to put it together. Jesus always put us through the hottest seasons with no reason. Just whenever it feels like it needs to. I'm a full of this tunnel living though I don't know where it leads to. I need you through the evils, the sequels, the fake people. Out here just trying to stay peaceful. Can you answer your phone when I need you through the evils, the sequels, the fake people? I'm out here just trying to stay peaceful. Can you answer your phone when I need you? I see you plugging my end, but I see you. Uh, sense is really common. And I'm just talking shit, but don't you comment. I'm in a place and I'm feeling kind of foreign. I don't want nobody here talking shit, I'm not from Compton. So tell me how you passing. Be living all fake like you plastic. Life is old games that's tragic. What happened to love and peace? Or what they has been? While we living like we're getting paid. While we living all free like there ain't no slaves. Up in Libya getting sold death trade. And all your friends are rattling like they're rattlesnakes. And all your friends are crackling like they're about to break. Just a couple hating niggas, man, that's all it takes. I just drink my water, keep them moving. And every time you see me, you gon' catch me shooting. I need you through the evils, the sequels, the fake people. Out here just trying to stay peaceful. Can you answer your phone when I need you through the evils, the sequels, the fake people? I'm out here just trying to stay peaceful. Can you answer your phone when I need you? I see you plotting my end, but I see you. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business, this crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. Still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. for International Cooperation and Disarmament presents Dr Joseph Gerson on Wednesday the 15th of August at 7pm. Dr Gerson's topic is How Nuclear Annihilation Stands in the Way of World Peace. August the 15th, 7pm, Melbourne Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne. All welcome. Sponsored by IPAN Victoria, Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, Quakers, Pax Christi, Spirit of Eureka and the Victorian Council of Churches. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament is a 3CR supporter.
The 2018 Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on the 11th of August at the Brunswick Town Hall. Stalls, books, projects and organisations fighting for a better world, here and abroad. Come for the stalls, stay for the workshops. Topics ranging from Indigenous struggles and decolonisation, climate change, anti-racism, unions, feminism, refugees, Anarchy 101 and so much more. Interested in a stall? Email us on info at amelbournebookfair.org That's info at amelbournebookfair.org Or message us on our Facebook page Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair 2018 A 3CR supporter Women, round of applause. Get my goals, women, round of applause. Know my roots, women, round of applause. If they come and get you, get you, get you. I'm a dumb, I swear to gonna get a female bitch, a bitch, a bitch, she gonna catch you. Big old woman gonna come in the floor. Got my back, woman, I do applaud. I'm an F-L-E-M-A-L-E from the ghetto. Yeah, she got a brain in the ghetto. She work by the night, still got time for the metro. Dancing out of way and forget about the echoes of the ghetto. I can echo, so she never leave the ghetto. Gotta tell them who's a memo, cause in time she gonna let go. She's a queen, and you know she never leave. They be waiting for a stumble, but she never trip a game. She never trip again. Nigga, tenant, class, run. Asking his baby got back. Got it from the motherland. Mother Mary never met a mother can be like that. So far, only made an epic talk. Cause the women in my village only carry five stars. listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR. So we've got a special panel today. We're looking at going beyond the sort of uh, whole African gangs rhetoric. Um, and in, in the studio today we have Meriki Onis uh, from the Gunai Japarang and Gurujmara Nations. Um, and she's a community member living on, uh, living on unceded territory in Nam and has been involved in activism um, over the incarceration of Aboriginal people. Maka Mayak, who is a lawyer and co-campaigner behind the original African Gangs social media campaign. We have uh, Saba Almayo, is a conscientious social entrepreneur and the founder of AfroHub. And we have Arij Noor, a radio journalist and co-founder of African Artists Collective Still Nomads. Welcome back. Um, so we just left off before um, on talking about um, the sort of the deep structures of the state um, and how Australia is, is founded on like a, as a penal colony. Um, and then we looked at also um, the sort of racialization of crime and how, and how I suppose that's normalised um, and how that feeds into the broader narratives and used to legitimise the state. Um, and you know, there's lots of 
stuff out there saying that, you know, especially since September 11th, uh, we've seen securitization of of the state of states across the world. So we've seen more borders. Uh, we've seen more laws, more anti-terror laws. And and while all that is 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 true, um, uh, people uh, like uh, um, have been saying, like Amy Maguire, um, that this is something that has existed since invasion. And we sort of spoke about that a bit before, Meriki. But did you have anything else to say about that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose i just reiterate what I said before, that um, it lies within system racism and that, that this system was formed on keeping people out and um, keeping First Nations um, down. And this, any, any laws and systems that come after um, terra nullius um, and British invasion is inherently going to be racist. And so we have to look at ways that we can diminish the power of these systems in our communities, and that comes with strengthening communities, and that comes with um, building our own community. Um, yeah, I suppose... <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I suppose we can sort of st start from that, like building communities. What what can we do to d to to do that on the on this on these lands? I I think I personally, well, I believe that you know, and I, well, we know that the over policing like is the problem. And once you come into contact with the police, they've got you tagged. They know who you are. They're going to show up regularly in your community. Um, and I think trying to um, organise how to, uh, looking at organising alternatives to policing. Why are po people calling the police in a certain area so much? Look at the data as to why people are calling the police. Uh, how do we address those antisocial behaviours within our communities outside of policing? And that might um, mean talking to your neighbours, talking to your communities, because these systems rely on fear and they rely on... Um, individual ways of thinking and feeling and so I think yeah building communities where people are spending time with each other and there's you know less fear and I think um, yeah we're taught to fear our neighbours so much that we're calling the police on them when we see a shadow or anything and I think that we have to diminish the power of the police by stop using them and looking at alternatives to policing and greater accountability within community if you know somebody that's um, um, particularly violent or if you, if you know somebody that may be experiencing family violence, don't just turn a blind eye to things like that. I think the culture, we have to change culture and how we treat each other and how we move and act within community. Um, and I know that's like really big picture, long-winded cultural change, but we do have to, yeah, and move away from things that deteriorate us like hateful media and turning off hateful media and stop using their power stop using them to have power over us not sure if that made sense but yeah i think we develop community through um there's probably multiple areas in which we're developing so i concentrate and focus tend to focus more on the economic development of community and um and I guess my politics is group economics. 
um, and that's how I operate on that space. So it's about us being able to create jobs for ourselves, create opportunities for ourselves, but then us also as somebody who's from, I guess, the uh, look at look at life a little bit more through their economic lens and trying to use basically the capitalist system to see how we can support and sustain ourselves, but then also supporting people that are doing socially and artistic um, flourishment projects and seeing how we can allow that to flourish. So it's about... I think it's multiple prongs. It's being able to support ourselves as much as we can in as many different sectors as we can. Um, and the key thing that I always say is that uh, when you're at the table, dragging as many of your folk to the table as you can because that changes the conversation, that changes um, the interaction, and that also changes the power dynamics. So for me, a community is more about trying to get our tentacles into as many different varieties but making sure they're meaningful and making sure we drag our own into that space as much as we can um, because then I think with a lot of this hateful, we talk about hateful media, we talk about businesses that may not, let's say, engage within um, diversity employment practices and so on and so forth, they actually need us to work, right? So the big thing that I always say is whether it be um, even this real estate agents that you refer to or whether it be the government, everybody needs us to be a part of the system. And the more, and being, I guess, from an economic perspective as well, they need you to spend for the system to continue. They need you to participate for the system to continue. They need you to vote for them to have power. They need you and it's about knowing what your value is and withdrawing that value or putting that value in a space that you feel comfortable in um, and being conscientious with the decisions that you make on a daily basis. So for me it's about um, when you let's say even as something as simple as when you're buying your coffee place are you buying it from a place that you're like you know what this is an actual business that I would like to support they have diverse employment practices I can see there's some people that look like me in here and that's great and I want to push that forward. Um, when you're banking are you banking with someone that's like um, actually contributing in some way positively to whether it be First Nation folks or um, something that you see or as a social, they've got a social arm that makes sense to me. Um, there's a lot of ways that we can make decisions. I feel I'm much more of a skeptic when it comes to um, people, for lack of better words, actually having an interest in our human rights. So I don't believe. No, I don't believe. I think it can go hand in hand, but I'm much more of a stronger believer in that. I think people will come to the table for us when we make it economically viable for them to come to the table for us, right? So it'd be, it'd be really nice, and I think and we've had a lot of advocacy work where people say, treat me like a human because I'm a human being, right? That's, that's what the Africans, as an African or as any, any kind of human being, you're like, treat us equally and fairly because we're human beings. That's one conversation. So Rosa Parks... I guess not standing up and saying this, that's not the process that actually instigated the change. Sometimes the process that instigated the change is when black people go, we're actually not going to use your buses. Oh, you lost all that money, did you? None of us jumped on your buses. Then you ignite that change, right? So that was also evident in a lot of civil rights stuff in London. So when you pull away your power, which is your economic power or your social power, or if they need, for example, even when we talk about tokenistic um, representation, some of these organisations need my black face for them to meet their KPIs. So when I withdraw my black face, and if enough of us withdraw our black faces, they don't meet their KPIs. So I'm, I'm really all about... Think of what the, these people that are igniting this kind of hate or violence and so on, what their bottom line is, what they need to achieve, and then withdraw that because they need you to achieve it, whether it be they need your money, 
They need your availability. They need your presence. They need something from you. Withdraw that. Then they will come to the table and they'll talk. Wow, that's a, that's a very good point. So it's all about um sense of community and claiming our power as people in the first place. And this is where the change will actually come if we're all united in that one message and sort of not running out to be individuals and just looking out for oneself. The the famous saying that goes, one finger is easy to break, but a fist you can punch through a wall with that. So um, we'll go from we'll go with that. Um, Makere, you think you have something to add? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, I think, and I'd like to go back to the point where we said initially that um, uh, following the, the, the September 11th, um, the, there has been a securitization of the state where if you look different, uh, and that is, you know, we're talking here about the Western world where we live in, um, you're going to be watched, you're going to, uh, to be, um, um, there will be surveillance on you, uh, you're more likely to be in, in trouble with the authorities more than uh, the, uh, the other folk. So, so I think, um, and, and that feeds to, into um, the existing structures of uh, this country being uh, um, founded on, on, on crime, and uh, I think it's, it's, that's, that's not controversial. It's, it's accepted everywhere, and we can see it's, it's everywhere. Uh, now, in terms of um, uh, us existing here, I think I do accept what uh, the, the, the previ previous speaker said, that we do need to know what uh, what we represent in the society, we need to uh, understand what power that we, the power that we have. It may not have a huge impact on the overall economy of this, the, the political economy or the the, the social economy the, um, of this society. But I think it's uh, uh, broadly speaking, there is uh, there is power in every every uh, every person that lives in this society, and I think we do have a decent society enough of of, uh, of a size that can uh, impact on on decision making, and that's why I think if you if we educate um, our young people to understand better, and and during the break, uh, I think uh, uh, the conversation was um, if you're if you if you're a, a young a young African or indigenous person and you and you think you're going to behave uh, exactly the same as a young white person uh, be reassured uh, it's you, you may not come back from it uh, the, the the young white person may, may may come back from it will bounce back and will make a, a decent living down the line I think these are the things that we need our young people to, to understand uh, educate them right from, right from the get go that you are not on the same um, on, the, on the on the same level uh, in terms of you being accepted in this society as the uh, as a white young person. Um, once once we achieve that, then I think we'll, uh, we uh, will we will educate our, uh, our young people to be leaders. Uh, and it's only le leaders. If you if you're if you're self-aware, you know where you stand in the society, then you're you're likely going to make decisions that impact on the long term of your own self, your family, and uh, and your community um, uh, generally. Um, 
that young person will be will be able to make an, uh, an important economic decision, be that it's where that young person is going to buy coffee or it's where that young person is going to go out for to, to socialize, where they spend their hard-earned uh, dollar, uh, because it's it's going to back to where uh, um, to 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 a cause that supports them, um, and that. That all of it comes from education, and I think as uh, as uh, as young leaders, and I think leaders generally in our uh, um, uh, various communities, that's what we need to uh, turn our focus on, making sure that uh, um, we there, there's there's that education, and not just education where uh, kids go to school and finish. Uh, that, that's 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 important, but also um, our young people being conscious of where or their their role in the society where. What they represent in the society and the risks that they do face in the society. Once we achieve that, but I, I think we will have um, uh, uh, we will achieve a level of consciousness and we will make powerful decisions. And uh, I think for me uh, that that should be the starting point. Uh, have that import, uh, um, have the education where we can uh, you know you 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 can stand on your own and make an important decision and impact on your community and that as well i think can um, can be t- taken out to the to the wider community as well i think education is definitely key um, i really yeah i really just think that we need way more black teachers in schools or we need to make black schools because I think that a lot of the issues, and this is what we're talking about over the during the break, was about like you know self worth. You know when you're constantly told that you're X, Y, and Z, or you're constantly criminalised, and representation of you in the media and elsewhere is so negative. I think as adults we deal with that, and we maybe go see a therapist, or maybe we have the capacity to have these conversations with each other. But as kids, you internalise that, and it actually just impacts your life in ways that I think we haven't really researched within the African community, I would say, um, enough. And so I think that whether it is making black schools and whether that's realistic or something that we need to, we can engage in or something that we can do, I really think that having some sort of representation within school systems, like primary school systems, like having teachers within that space to A, ensure that the correct histories are being taught of... um, Australia, the stolen land. I think that that is really, really important um, for African kids and all kids. But I think um, in relation to our connections and our proximities, it's very important for us to know who we are, where we stand um, and what that means. Um, But I also think it's really important to have people who are teaching you, people who are mentoring you, who A, look like you and B, really understand you and see you. I think in our schooling systems it's really hard because a lot of African kids and other black kids are um, really unfairly treated. I think that whether that is because... Australia's public school system is maybe having a really rough time or not, I I don't know, but I know for a fact that that school-to-prison pipeline that happens in the United States is very much a thing that is has happened here and continues to happen here might not be in the same way that it is in the US but I think that there's something there's something there Um, art is really important music is really important um, and it's great if we can engage in those areas often kids do when they get a bit older but I I really just I maybe it's my personal wish when I was at school when I was in primary school and high school to have a teacher 
who really got me and saw me and and I think that that would have really impacted my self-worth growing up and then having to unlearn all of this stuff when you become an adult it's such a task before you can even start realizing who you are and who your worth is and I think that that is something that's really important um and I also know that being a teacher is really hard so just you know that is like I acknowledge that as well. So if you do want to be a teacher, that's really hard work, especially in those systems. But I think it's something that's really, really important. But see, I think it's so interesting. I think what Areej said is spot on when it comes to representation. So what I find really interesting is that a lot of the things that we're saying today are not new information, right? So uh, white feminism feminists have known the importance of representation, right? And they still know it now, let's say, even within the Victorian government scope. So we, we talk about women in sciences, and what do they talk about? We need to have more women in sciences so young girls can grow up thinking, I can be a scientist. So we already have the theory and the research there when it comes to a lot of that. Another thing would be that young black people also need to see black people in positions for them to feel like, hey, I can also do that. Um, so I think that's why I, I really resonated and connected with the original point that it's important to have teachers that are representational of the demographic that they are teaching in the same way that it's important to have managers that are representational of the employees that they have. Um, representation matters. And when we say it, it sounds so alien or so odd or like I'm giving you a new concept, but it's not because when the suffragette said it, you got it. When, you know, Irish migrants say it, you get it. When, you know, when in all, in all concepts, it seems that nobody seems to struggle with it. But as soon as black people say it, it seems to like all of a sudden have a challenging element to it. But um, we've done this rodeo before. It's been done at all levels. So I don't understand in the same way you have unions as a pile of parliaments. People get it. People get all of these representational stuff. But as soon as black people say representation matters then everyone's quite confused and we want to talk about merit and we want to talk about this. So, oh, they love yeah. talking about merit. I think it's, it's, I think it's an interesting concept because be like, I'm like, we're not saying anything new. You, I mean, your own white institutions have done all the research to say that this is important. So I'm not even giving you my own thing. I'm saying, you said this, okay, by the extension of you saying that, this is what I want. It's almost like there's an air of this, like how dare you ask for you to be treated equal. Mm-hmm. Or how dare you ask that, you know, you to get something you deserve. And so, yeah, it goes back to where black people are in some way considered to be subhuman or less of a lesser value mm-hmm. than all other um, communities, um, I might say. So, yeah, it all comes back to self and to community where you realize your self-worth and you can project that out. Yeah. I think one other thing is about relinquishing power. I think that like one other thing when it comes to suffragettes and white feminism is that white men feel less guilty or feel less stressed out about relinquishing power to white women than they would to black people. I think that's part of of that as well because I think that um like you said representation isn't a new or interesting concept like like affirmative action is a thing that is normal in Australia and all of that. But I think that thing of relinquishing power is one um, that we in Australia have definitely not even considered or started thinking about in a bigger kind of scope. Uh, I think that's why we can't talk about the issues that African communities face and Aboriginal communities face um, without talking about the, how white supremacy 
plays a role in that. You can't just ignore that this that that everyone doesn't see the black person in the room when they speak about representation because of white supremacy um, and normalising that that that's that's the reason why it's not just because they're not just being nice on that day. There is that's a reason, yeah. and and settler colonialism is the reason why they don't see us. Um, and I think that's we can't talk about these issues without talking about the destruction of white supremacy and um, how settler colonialism um, creates an environment where all of this can happen. Yeah. So let's talk about that then. Can I just go and say very quickly and uh, and you know um, accept. Yeah. No one wants to lose a privilege, um, <laughs> and I think all we all we see is uh, the um, uh, when the white man sees that the uh, that privilege is is diminishing, or there's a conversation that threatens that privilege, then and uh, particularly when it comes to 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 you know to the uh, to the other that is the ones that don't look like like them then the conversation turns uh, to what um the, that key word that was mentioned merit um because it's it it, it attempts to undermine the you know the cry for equality it it um it undermines um the fact that why why are you asking for it if you're not up to the task why are you asking to be uh to be in parliament when 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 you when you know uh you've got to go through the uh, the the um, um election and uh present your ideas and um people buy into your ideas and you get elected into parliament but it's 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 not that every every person i think has something they live for and that what they live for is what they can uh present in an election as uh, as an important thing for them to represent their uh, their constituency so when when well, and, and I agree with it that when people talk about merit, it's 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 not not so much as uh, the people that are crying out for equality do not deserve to the um, the merit. It's because they, they, it's 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 contributing to the diminishing um, uh, privilege of, of 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 the white man. And I and I think um, I agree with the panelists here that. Um, we there's there's a there's a need more than ever before that um, the, the the diversity that we talk about in this society has to be represented it has to be represented in all in all spheres of the society. Um, so we've had a so you're listening to 3CR um, Thursday breakfast. We've actually had a an SMS come in um, uh, that says uh, so. Uh, he, this person has been here for over 30 years uh, and has seen a shift from African people being unique and loved by the population to being all categorised as gang, gang members. Can you ask the panel, uh, what role can African people ha who have been here longer than recent migrants play in helping other Africans? Thanks, Dean. Uh, the key thing is you're not any different to the newbies. Um, that's, I think that's a really key thing to, to take into consideration because um, I think what ends up happening is, for example, let's say as an as a Ethiopian woman, it's very easy for me to be like, um, oh, but I'm not South Sudanese. Yeah, you are. Like it's, it's the same thing for m the majority of the um, 
population and you need to contribute to that conversation. So if you have been here longer, I would say uh, providing opportunities for those that are coming um, into the space, uh, the space being, I guess, Melbourne. Um, so providing opportunities where you can. Um, also providing space at the table. I say that all the time because I just think it's really important. Um, so if you are in conversations where African gangs are being discussed or you need to be somewhere, maybe really bringing in new um, community members into the conversations and not having the conversations in isolations and silos in which there is an access. So I think access is probably the best that you can contribute. Is someone who's been here for 30 years, I feel like you probably have more access points into the community than someone who's just come in. So providing that bridging access contact would be my idea of saying that I think that's the best that you can do for people, allowing... Um, opportunities to empowerment is probably the best. I think the reason why um, Africans were, or the perception that Africans were considered interesting and exotic um, 30 years ago versus now is because um, there wasn't that many of us. And I think that often when people come in and they're a little bit different, it's exciting. And then they're like, no, no, now there's a problem because there's just too many of you. Like, I see you everywhere. And that's something that I think really stresses people <laughs> yes, out. that's a very good point. <laughs> you know? Um, but I also don't want to diminish the experiences that Africans who came here 30 years ago had. There was real problems of racial profiling, you know, 30 years ago or however long ago. There, there has been problems. These are not issues that have just, I mean, I think now they've exploded, but I don't think that they, they started within our communities, you know, five years ago. Like, there have been issues going on for a really long time. Underemployment and, like, extreme racism is something that Africans have dealt with in Australia since the moment that we arrived here. Um, I think that's important. But I also think that, exactly as Saba said, where I think there's sometimes this disconnect of like, oh, you know, these new Africans are making it really difficult for us Africans who may have been able to assimilate um, in a way that we think is meaningful to, to, to deal, to cope. And I think that that's a real problem because um, exactly as Saba said, you can't remove yourself from your community, especially in, in that because we are quite visible you know, um, and also the problem isn't Africans. I think that we, and that's something that maybe, if nothing else comes across from my end today, is that the pro we're not the problem. I can't say that we're the problem. The problem is that this structure has existed and has been established to, you know, to oppress First Nations people, and we fit a mould that has existed for ages. Like, that is not, we're not the problem. And so I think that we maybe our communities have internalised that and thinking that, and, you know, white supremacy doesn't need white people to operate, you know, so we can internalise those things and maybe we think that we don't, we don't want to engage. But exactly as Saba said, opening doors, you might have more access. Class is something that's important within our communities. If you have more class privilege, um, I think that supporting your community in any way that you can. There are always GoFundMes for funerals, which is so devastating, to be honest, because a lot of where we mobilise is paying for funerals of, of young people. So there are always GoFundMes to pay for these horrific things that have happened. Engage if you can. Put your, put your money in there. Um, and that, I guess that's what I would say. Um, I, can I just make a point on that? I've, 30 years ago, racism still existed. It didn't come with African migrants. Totally. And when this dies over and the next minority is hated, 
will still be enemy number one. And so we have to combat racism at every single point, even when we're not at the exact ebb of it, because there's always somebody at the end of it. And so when this all dies down, we will still be here in the prisons, public enemy number one. So it's important to say that when that, that 30 years ago, we were still fighting black deaths in custody. Like, this, didn't, this is not a new thing. It's just happening to different people. That's why we can't get caught up in campaigns and elections. This is a culture change to abolishing systems where this can happen. And that, I think that we're all, inv- every single one of us, they, this is our, all of our responsibility, not just new African migrants, not Aboriginal people, not old African migrants. It's everyone, white people included. It's all of mm-hmm. our responsibility. Um, and I suppose just coming um, on the, the back of that is like, so what, what are some things that community and activists are doing um, across Nam and the colonised lands? Doing or can do or which? Uh, doing, like some, some, some things that are like bu- building community. I think there's heaps of things going on. So, for example, there are a lot of um, social and artistic groups, which are also a co-founder of one, in which that are actually um, having conversations that are maybe people are not necessarily open to. Um, there are spaces in which uh, I think there's a lot of, I guess, community building and strengthening is taking place. Um, there's a lot of mobilising around also taking... Um, rallies and things like that that are also happening. Um, there's, I think, yeah, people are attacking it on multiple frontages and this is also a part of that. Being a part of this radio conversation today is a part of taking that um, activism forward and the resistance to it um, and it shows and podcasts that are running as well on that. So I believe there's a fair bit going on, I would say. I mean, we, there's a huge abolitionist movement and I keep going back to that because that's where I truly believe that that lies. And we do have to centre um, the voices of people that ha- are experiencing and at the, at the frontier of uh, what's happening. But I think um, it's not that good, it's not that strong, but there is a movement and I think that we have to strengthen our abolitionist movement, change prison and policing cultures within our communities and teach our young kids that actually you don't have to live in a community where police are doing this to you and that there's a lot of power in that so I think you know education of communities there's heaps happening there's heaps happening um in our community where but I mean right now we're trying to fight the violence of gentrification that's pretty much obliterated our community in inner city Melbourne so um yeah, there is a lot happening, but I, I mean, start with talking to the people who are at the epicentre of what's happening. I'd say that I think we need to listen to the voices of South Sudanese communities and what they're saying and um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's experiences. Um, Yes, I, I agree. There's, there's a lot that is happening uh, across the board and across different communities. And, and I think what uh, I'd rather focus on is what is not happening, and that is uh, these communities coming to, uh, coming together and getting to understand and um, have an inclusive conversation about uh, their experiences um, uh, across the board. We, we you know, we've, we've read as new migrants or uh, migrants who've been here for uh, some decades 
um, that the um, the racism that the indigenous people have experienced and continue to experience um, is something that we can all learn from. And if we, uh, for instance, engage with the indigenous uh, with the indigenous people, indigenous people engaging with the with the Sassanese people, or Sassanese engaging with Ethiopians, the Africans, and and Lebanese, and all the people that have ex- experienced uh, racism uh, and are excluded from decision making in the society, well, I, I think it's they, they should be the uh, one step forward that these communities come together and share experiences and learn from um, uh, learn from what uh, the uh, earlier communities and the, 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 the native the natives of this country have experienced uh, I think it's what is lacking in the conversation and if we if we, if we get to uh, to get to that level where um, uh, uh, activists are coming together and sharing experiences and and, and pulling resources um, pulling their resources together. Um, I, I think we we could we could be heard um, a lot louder than we are now as uh, separate and small entities and small communities together. Mm. Um, I just want to say that I didn't go to there, there was a rally um, at the front of Channel Seven a couple of weeks ago um, that was organised by some really 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 incredible young African. Um, mostly Sassanese young people and I was watching a Facebook live video and I was just I felt such a sense of pride honestly um, at like the complexity and at the like how thoughtful these young people are and they really just spoke from their experiences exactly as Mariki said like if you want to engage with these kind of issues you need to engage with the people who experience them there's no point in reading academic articles about something like you have to engage with people who experience it firsthand and I felt really proud um these young people who got up there and they they mobilised, they did this thing, um, they had this rally at the front of Channel 7 for negative media representation, and I think they did such an amazing, amazing job just based on what I saw on video. And so I just want to kind of congratulate them for doing that and for being so vocal and for mobilising and doing all this amazing stuff. But I think that, you know, our communities are doing... the. I think the problem isn't that our communities aren't doing things. Our communities have been doing things. Our mothers have been doing things. Our families have been doing things. We support each other, um, and and we are we are doing things, and we have been. That's definitely not the problem. And exactly as Mariki said, it's it's systems, and it's also everyone's implicated in this. We live in this white supremacist society, and with we benefit from it in different ways, and therefore we're all implicated in the issues that impact. Um, Anyone and everyone, refugees, um, First Nations people, Africans, like whoever it is, we're all implicated in that and we're all part of um, trying to ensure that that this doesn't exist anymore. Yes, very good point. I think that's one of the main differences we're seeing this time around with this racial rhetoric and all these attacks by the politicians is the actual response. I think it's much more positive um, this year than it would have been five years ago, ten years ago, and mainly with the help of social media and the hashtag African gangs and everything. And I think that has has, um, empowered a lot of our young people. I'll speak even from a personal view. That has shown me, look, look, I I have a shared um, struggle, and I have people who are actually joined in this, and we are much stronger for it. So... um, 
this has um, given given us a lot of things. And if anything goes to come out of this, there's something positive in the unity that we have experienced mm. as Africans and Indigenous people. So and just the possible to make that convergence point. of yes. like um, all these activisms exactly. put together. And I suppose just to finish up, um, Mariki, um, what do you think African communities and activists can learn from? the sort of long history of Indigenous struggles and, and, and how can we put our different knowledges together to combat yeah, white supremacy? And I'll keep it short. Okay. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I think we can learn from each other. I think that there's got to be solidarity built between all of our communities. You can't, and also I'll just acknowledge, you can't really homogenise African communities and Aboriginal communities. We're all diverse and we've all got different ways of moving um, within, you know, what's happening to us. But I, I think, yeah, I think that we've got to read what's happened before. A lot of our, uh, this is nothing new. This is, there was a rise up in the 70s, especially around racist policing. And um, I'd say, you know, read what's going on in our community, our independent medias. I mean, I can't stress enough the importance of independent media. Um, and I think, yeah, we have to build solidarity and respect that while we do have differences, but we also have a lot of commonalities as well and try and come together. And I think that unity is probably the best way forward through this and that, you know, once this election dies down and, um, you know, the next minority is hated or, or however, we have to destroy whatever creates an environment for this to breed to, ha to stop it from happening again. Um, and that's all we have time for today. We just want to thank um, our guests for coming in. Um, so thank you, Arij. Thank you, Maka. Thank you, Saba. And thank you so much, Mariki. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Also, yes. a huge shout-out to the rest of the team behind the scenes, um, and especially uh, Gab and MV, who've come in early um, to help us out, uh, slash help me out with this really confusing panel. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, we'll be back next week and tune in uh, tomorrow. Now there's Lost in Science. <coughs> 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community voices on air. We'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.